Ready? Mm -hmm. Welcome to the November 14th Lawrence City Commission meeting. We will start off tonight with some instructions. Thank you, Mayor. Good, e good evening, everyone. To minimize distractions during this meeting, please silence your cell phone. For those attending virtually, please ensure you are muted and your video is off when you are not actively participating in the meeting. The city reserves the right to turn videos off or mute virtual participants. The meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. When the mayor calls for public comment, please approach this the podium to indicate you wish to speak. Those participating virtually should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat. All chats go directly to the meeting host. Please state your name before speaking. All comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you very much. We'll begin the meeting with um, item A, which is to approve the agenda. The city commission res reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Are there any commissioners that would like to change the agenda? Move to approve the agenda. Second. I have a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Eight. Passes four to zero. On to item B, which is uh, our proclamations. We have two tonight. The first one is to proclaim the month of November 2023 as Alzheimer's Awareness Month. I believe we have some folks from Bridgehaven tonight. Hi, thank you, Mayor Commissioners. I'm Sarah Randolph, Executive Director of Bridgehaven Memory Care on behalf of our residents, their loved ones, and our staff. We are honored to be recognized as part of the Alzheimer's and Dementia Care community here in Lawrence. Thank you for your support. Thank you. I'll read the proclamation now. Whereas in 2023, an estimated 64,000 Americans will be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in the U.S. and more than 50,000 will die from the disease. Got the wrong one. Pancreatic. You have the Oh, one Alzheimer's. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. That's the next one. The next one. I pulled up the wrong one. I apologize. We'll get this right. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. We'll start this again. Whereas Alzheimer's is a disease that is accompanied by symptoms of memory loss called dementia. Nearly 6 million adults in the United States suffer from Alzheimer's disease, and a new sufferer is, is diagnosed every seven seconds. Whereas the dementia-related symptoms that accompany diseases such as Alzheimer's may include loss of mental function in areas such as language, memory, visual, spatial abilities, and judgment. There is no existing cure for Alzheimer's, but promising studies are being led by researchers in our region. And whereas Bridgehaven Memory Care in Lawrence, Kansas focuses on caring for individuals in four small and less confusing care homes with a fish pond, secured walking paths, in abundant gardens. We stand with our residents' families as we advocate for better treatments and for a cure. We hope someday, someday, that we are no longer needed, but until that day, we will continue to provide loving care for our re residents. Therefore, I, Lisa Larson, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, do, do proclaim the, the November 2023 as Al Alzheimer's Awareness Month, and I encourage all citizens to extend their support for those struggling with Alzheimer's and their families. Thank you. Now we're on to the next one. I apologize again for that. 
Do we have somebody here to speak on the pancreatic cancer day? Nope. Okay, I'll go ahead and read the proclamation then. Whereas in 2023, an estimated 64,000 Americans will be diagnosis, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in the U.S. and more than 50,000 will die from the disease. Whereas pancreatic cancer has the highest mortality rate of all major cancers, for all stages combined, the five-year relative survival rate is only 12%. And whereas it is currently the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States after lung and colon, and it is expected to become the second by 2030. And whereas symptoms for pancreatic cancer may include weight loss, abdominal discomfort, back pain, development of type 2 diabetes, and some tumors may cause jaundice. And whereas the good health and well-being of the residents of Lawrence, Kansas are enhanced as a, res as a direct result of increased awareness about pancreatic cancer and research, as well as early detection causes and effective treatments. Therefore, I, Lisa Larson, the mayor of the city of Lawrence, Kansas, do hereby proclaim November 16, 2023 as World Pancreatic Cancer Day. Thank you. All right, we will move on to our next item, which is um, item C, which is public comment. The public is allowed to speak on issues or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Comments should be limited to issues and items germane to the business of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Each person will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there, is there any general public comment? I know this goes up, but I don't know how yeah. to do it. You got it. Just hold it for a minute. Takes a second. Oh, there it goes. Mm. Ah. Hello, I'm Linda Winemaster. I was watching on Zoom last week, and I was quite appalled by what I saw of people that were students at KU, probably most of them were not born here in America, and the disrespect they were given to a true war hero and a veteran. And whether you like Dr. Spies or not, you need to respect him. And these people that come to our country are given that right because of what Justin did when he served our country to protect our rights. And this is wrong. And I don't know if they need to learn. I learned because my dad was fought in World War II in the Navy. We learned this as Americans, and it really saddened me to see that going. And I'd just like to remind everybody that serves on the commission, you serve all the people of Lawrence whether we have the same ideas or not. And, and the listening needs to begin, and it needs to begin now. The election is over, we're moving forward, but there's so many unhappy people here. And I was out doing Christmas shopping, which I enjoyed doing, and I was frightened today. I was absolutely frightened. I saw people living in their cars, packed with, I mean, I, I've never seen so much stuff in a car. And I thought, this is not right. This is not right that I can't go. And my husband said, well, then don't shop in Lawrence anymore. I said, okay, I won't. So anyway, 
that's all I have to say. Thank you. Any other public comment? General public comment? Uh, my name's Pam McDermott, and I've lived here in Lawrence for 40 years, and this is the first time that I've given public comment. Recently, I read, compassion cannot be measured by intentions. It must be measured by outcomes. I would like to point out, as many others have, that the city's adopted policies that speak the language of unlimited compassion, but have created a system of cruelty and chaos with the tents and the drugs and the crime because of the lax enforcement of laws. This type of compassion makes everything worse for everyone. We can't build strong, welcoming neighborhoods that are safe and secure if the behavior and actions of the few threaten the safety and the livelihood of the many. At the beginning of the summer, I attended two of the city's listening sessions on homelessness, one at the depot and the other at the library. First, I'd like to mention that you were speaking contrary to our city's stated vision of transparent government when you repeatedly directed the facilitators to say that all of the homeless in our community have not come from other communities or states. They certainly have, as we learned from the meetings at the legislature last week, and many, most people already knew that. My first question was to ask the numerous facilitators at my table why the city chose the housing first model when clearly it has been a disaster for every West Coast city that has embraced it. In fact, they are actively pivoting on Housing First, petitioning the Supreme Court to intervene at this time. Governments have mobilized billions of dollars to solve homelessness, but there are more people living in camps than ever. And ever since we went all hands on deck in Lawrence to solve homelessness, we've become a magnet and the population has increased by more than 50% because the evidence says that people go where laws are lenient. Why did we choose this model? None of the facilitators knew the answer to that except Assistant City Manager Brandon McGuire. He stated the federal government mandates that we use the Housing First model to have federal money. I felt no reassurance from that statement. We're bringing the homeless industrial complex here and funding it with debt, basically. I would have preferred to hear we chose this because it works. It works for communities and it works for the homeless people. I know you won't answer at this time, but who is responsible for that decision? It has dramatically changed our city and you're allowing the situation to worsen by not enforcing laws. Again, data from other cities shows that people who are inclined to commit crimes gravitate to communities that are lenient. Your primary responsibility and obligation is to the people of Lawrence, Kansas, not an ideology or the dream that you might have of solving homelessness. We live in a republic where we follow the rule of law, and the rule of law keeps all people, regardless of their housing status, safe. And so I speak for many others, I think, when I ask that you would please enforce the laws that we have here. Thank you. Any other general public comment? Would you like to go before me? Kamai. This means hello in my traditional indigenous language of Yupik. I'm Violet Abitsi Amawak of Lawrence, Kansas. My father was Ralph Jeremy Amawak of Anchorage, Alaska. His father was Ralph Amawak of Tanana, Alaska. And his parents were Takak and Olga Amawak of Unalakleet, Alaska. I stand before you in my galia today, made by my aunties as a representative of my ancestors who survived the genocide of our Yupik peoples by any means necessary. I'm calling upon the spirits of my ancestors and homeland to implore you to do the right thing and set aside your apathy. 
I was appalled last week to watch you, Lisa, interrupt and ignore the Palestinian folks who came so humbly before you to ask that you use your power to end the violence occurring to their relatives and countrymen. And what were they asking for? A call for ceasefire, a statement of solidarity with the students at large here, signing on to boycott, divest, sanction efforts, as well as simply reading the resolution that the folks at Rally for Palestine drafted. Not only do I urge all of you council members to strongly consider these actions of solidarity, but if you value your seats on this council in the future, I suggest you listen to your constituents as opposed to your echo chamber of friends and business partners. I'm fully aware that my words are falling upon deaf ears considering the rampant apathy of this room for the homeless population who in this town are largely Native American. They come here to go to Haskell, sold on the dream that material change is achievable, and it's all a trick. I know this from watching my father die a homeless man, a path forged here in Lawrence as a student at Haskell for him. His homelessness was not for a lack of effort. At its inception, it was a direct result of this town failing to consider all of its people. We don't care about living survivors of genocide or descendants of those who survived genocide in this town. At least people like you don't. We don't even care about dead victims of genocide. What has the city of Lawrence done to aid the repatriation efforts of the more than 400 human remains of ancestors at KU? This is within our city borders. These are things that our city matters. In a town literally built on the legacy of boarding schools as a tool of genocide, i.e. Haskell Indian Nations University, showing respect to the dead should be obvious. But y'all don't see these things. You see dollar signs when KU wants to build a new stadium and something to cover up and hide when we talk about the bodies KU has stolen from resting in peace. Shame on all of you in this room for your apathy. If you think city business is purely related to financial matters, you have no business making decisions for our city. Koyana for your time. Thank you. Other general public comment? Hi, my name is Sue Herrick. I'm a resident here in Lawrence. And I know I've spoken here before and been fairly adverse with your behavior, your actions, and your decisions. Tonight, I want to maybe bring out a point of commonality. I would imagine that you probably hold some of the same people in reverence that I do. I'm going to mention two right off the bat because I was in their presence. Old as I am, I was lucky to have that opportunity. One was Martin Luther King. The other was Bobby Kennedy. There were a lot of others. But from that experience, being in the same room, and in one case, being within three or four feet of a person of that caliber, my takeaway was, as I go forward in life, will I recognize those traits again? And when I do, what will I do? Well, I'll tell you what. When I saw Justin Spies, Dr. Spies, standing on a corner, protesting masks, ah, it rang. Here's a guy who's locked on the truth and who has the courage to stand away from his computer, go out in public, and do something about it. The people that he reminds me of would not look favorably on your actions, particularly Dr. King. Courtney, your statement about your treatment and consideration of white people on boards stood, <laughs> took you apart. What a racist comment to make. 
I'm here to ask you from here on to show respect to people who've served our country and like Dr. Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy and others who love our country and want what's best for our country in the future. Your actions, everything from the homeless to vaccine mandates and carrying out vaccine clinics tear the fabric of this country apart. Thank you. Any other general public comment? Yeah, this is public comment period. Hello, my name is Darren Klish. I am the um, owner of Climb Lawrence. We opened uh, three years ago uh, somewhat as a philanthropy for Lawrence. My mission was to create an opportunity for young people, uh, children, adults, um, to be able to experience rock climbing in Douglas County. Um, there have uh, been a lot of challenges for us in that location. Um, we've had the, the bus, the, a lot of buses there idling in front of our building, a lot of the bus drivers smoking in front of our building. We have made huge strides in that area, moving one of the buses back from idling right in front of our cafe and entrance. Uh, the pandemic was not, was not easy. Um, and the homeless situation downtown uh, does create challenges, challenges for us. Um, I'm a physician, I treat all types of people. I treat homeless individuals and my heart goes out to them and what they have suffered through and what they continue to suffer with regardless of the pathology or the events that led to that situation. Um, but, you know, I as an individual, as a business owner, I cannot solve the problem and I need the city's help. You must ask, we have to ask ourselves what is fair. Um, I want my employees to feel safe when my, you know, I have, I have college girls that work at the front desk that don't feel safe to walk back up to the parking garage at night. My adult, my other men staff have to escort them. Um, and um, we, we, you know, we've had, we, we just, we have a lot of issues. We have a lot of loitering, smoking, drinking, intoxication, um, fighting, uh, we've had our windows shattered out twice, um, and and we've even had a murder uh, just within you know the city. The police needed to see our cameras to see who the suspect was, you know, to identify the suspect, and and so I don't know what is fair, um, but. But we definitely have a situation, and if this, I would just ask for the city to help us in your efforts to to solve this problem, to to allow for women, moms, children, young adults to feel safe coming into our space, so that we can continue to remain open. That's what I'm asking for. Um, so I appreciate you listening to me. Thanks. Thank you. Any other general public comment? Hi, I'm Chris Flowers. Um, I, I want to address last week also, because um, last week, um, Mayor, you did try to shut down that group, acting like what they were asking for a letter to be sent to our our leaders that 
that it's not city business, but I went back looking through stuff, and on on one twelve twenty one, um, I think you, you wanted you asked for this is that um, you asked that the commission writes a le write a letter to our congressional majority and minority leaders in regard to the national incident on January sixth. Then on February second, the commission signed a letter that says. The January 6, 2021 premeditated attack on the United States Capitol to overturn the election was instigated and sanctioned by Donald Trump. So my question would be, how is that city business, but send in a letter saying that um, we don't want our tax dollars to fund Israel's genocide of the Palestine people? Like, aren't they both in the same like subject area that we don't control either, but we're asking our elected leaders not to, like, to stand up for values, basically. And I just wanted to point that out, that I, I think a letter is, um, is city business. But let's say it's not. You know what is city business? Proclamations. So I'm asking you, Mayor Larson, to issue a proclamation against Israel's genocide of the Palestine people. And I called also, I called the, the um, this city hall, and I asked, and I was told that the mayor can do it herself without needing the approval of the rest of the commission. So this is something you could do all by yourself, mayor. And let's see what else I have. Oh yeah, let's say, if, if you don't, I wonder if, if Bart Littlejohn will. And if, he's, if he won't, may, maybe, I, I'd like to know if some of you would. Because we have an election coming up where you you all choose who you want to be mayor. So if one of y'all is willing to make a proclamation in, in support of Palestine, I, I'd like to know it. And I'd, I'd like it for it to be discussed. Because that is something that the mayor is in charge of, is proclamation. So why should it just be uh, Lil John gets, gets an automatic uh, year of it. And I, so I, I just want to throw that out there. I'll, I'll have more at a later time. Thank you. Any other public comment? Any other general public comment? Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff that happened at that meeting last week. So not only did you uh, say that the topics weren't germane, but then you went ahead and allowed them to bully you into allowing them to speak, whereas, uh, you know, the, you did the opposite of that when, when I tried to, to speak as well. So my name is Dr. Justin Spies. Uh, there are a couple articles that were just written uh, today, one from the Kansas Reflector, one from the Lawrence Times, talking about a lawsuit that I filed against the city commission here, uh, and Lisa Larson and Courtney Shipley. And... Um, and also the city library, and I just want to encourage everyone out there to uh, you know, go and go and read the. Uh, if you're interested, go go and read the complaint. It's a public record, and I encourage you to do that just so you get the facts. Because you know, like when you read Lawrence Times and Kansas Reflector, you're not going to get the whole story. So the story is in the in the complaint. You know, for example, you know the Lawrence Times uh, neglected. You know, part of it is uh, one of the things uh, that Courtney Shipley did is said that I, I couldn't clap during a meeting. I mean, I mean, just think of that. You know, talk about 
being a tyrant. So we got one human being telling another human being they can't take his hands and do this with them. But another group of human beings, you guys allow to take their hands and go like this because you approve of it. So last week at the meeting, after everyone spoke on the issue that you said wasn't Jermaine, Lisa Larson, but allowed them to speak, not only did you allow them to speak on it, you allowed them to clap on it as well. So I don't understand how, how they got to clap and, and, and why, I, why I didn't get to, to clap. So you know that's in the lawsuit. That's restricting my First Amendment. It's also compelling speech. I mean, because think of the opposite of that. So everyone there you know, clapped in support of pro-Israel and clapped on all these topics, and when I went up and spoke, nobody clapped. Well, I don't give a shit about that, but the opposite of that would be that if you all sat up there, or there were people like me, right, our, our scary Republicans sat up there and told them that they had to clap when I spoke about stuff that, that they didn't agree with. It's the same thing, but it's, it's you know, it's not equally applied, so, uh, and it's, you know, I th it's just so, it, I mean, it's so, uh, I think the word it is like, petty tyranny, you know? It, it's not a petty issue, but you're just being so petty. I couldn't clap. Are you kidding me? Why? <laughs> so anyways, that lawsuit's out there. Maybe we'll find out why I couldn't clap. I got my suspicions. I have my hunches, and I, and I think a lot of people already know. But uh, all right, check out that. If you can't find it online, just shoot me an email. My email address on my YouTube channel, the Dreaded Rabble Rousers. Check it out. Any other um, general public comment? It's, it's really interesting. Last week, when you guys took a break, I told Randy Larkin that every time he lets you do that bullshit, you're getting one step closer to the lawsuit. I, I said the lawsuit that I was going to file. That may come. I'm really not the one that wants to sue his town, but I'm damn, damn glad that Justin filed on you. <clears throat> and not because I support everything he says and everything he believes in, but because I support the First Amendment and his right to be able to come in here and redress his government. A government that repeatedly lies and shamed with improper facts, improper reasoning. You know, we try to hide from the things that we've done, but it's on the record. And you guys have created a record it's called a pattern of practice. The police, maybe when they do their safe and secure update here in a little bit, they can talk to you about pattern and practice and how it impacts court and court hearings and jury verdicts and things like that. So Courtney, you're gonna be costing us money long after you're out of office because your last meeting is next week. But you're still gonna be costing us money. That money that could have been spent on other things that are needed in this town. And Lisa, you're gonna be costing us money as well. I noticed that tonight, not a single interruption. Guys, not a single interruption in the entire room. Even when I look somewhere else, it's amazing what a lawsuit filing will do. Is that why? Or is it the camera again? Because the last time I came in here and put a camera on you guys during public comment the whole time and kept it going, same thing. You're very conscious about what shows. And right now, it doesn't show out to everybody else. The biased treatment in this room, regardless whether it's Justin, the people that were pro-Palestine the other night, last week, or myself, you've done the same thing to me. You've had police escort me out of here for freedom of speech activity. Bart Littlejohn, if he's the next mayor, I hope he takes a lesson from everything that's occurred and the one time that he tried to throw me out. 
because you guys, you have three minutes. And congratulations tonight for being able to sit for three minutes and act like you're listening. That's all we wanted last week. And a lot of headaches could have been saved. I'll let you have your 45 seconds back because I know you got important business to conduct. Any other public comment? General public comment? And on Zoom? Stephen Watts. Hi, just a moment, please. Oh, thank you. You know, nah, the police department is not going to be helping the town, uh, Mr. Aravi. And oh man, I mean, isn't it so strange, the good doctor, that it was business as usual as dictated by the town executive team and members of the town commission. Why are you not understanding this is business as usual? The incredible thing, Mayor Larson and the town commission, is the reality that... Mr. Spees, you're out of order. You're out of order. That's your warning. What? Go ahead, Steve. Why am I out of order? No, you're not out of order. Go ahead, Steve. Oh, okay, okay. I'm just saying that isn't it great that these people still come to the town commission seeking redress? I, I, it's a great thing. It really is, you guys. Come on. And I mean, you know, where are these folks calling for our town to stay up and say, we don't stand for oppression like what was going on last week? They're trusting you to do something. And Mr. Flowers is still trusting our government, the town commission, to act. You know what? Changing gears now. We had a gaggle of hens appearing before the state legislature from downtown Lawrence, etc., for an uh, calling for an attack on Lawrence. Let them let these business people get their bus tour from the Mass Street Brewery to Boco Raton, Florida for better days. Let them organize it and see what's going on. I understand that the Chamber of Commerce and downtown Lawrence and Leadership Lawrence have established this luxury bus ride for people who ain't got nowhere to be. And they're going to send them somewhere else. They, that's what they want to do. Let's call buses to get these people out of our town, Mayor. I mean, you, I, the town commission through the mayor have suggested that we need to enforce the law. Let's get them out of our town. That's what we need to do. Now, let's speak about the police review board and the reality that it hasn't met for months. And this body was, has been wholly negated, and the police work study group, which I understand is at a point of impasse, because the police want our town to empower it to do whatever it wants to do, and members of the police work study group are saying, eh, that, that, that's not what we were talking about. Come on. This, this, this is months later. Why, why don't you guys just say, we're going to do what we want to do? That's all I have right now. Thank you. Any other public comment on Zoom? No, Mayor. All right, we'll bring it back to the commission. We will move on to 
item D, which is a consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and approved by one motion. Members of the governing body may remove items for separate discussion if desired. Members of the public may remove items identified as quasi-judicial for separate discussion if desired. Members of the public will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there any commissioners that would like to have an item removed from the consent agenda? Commissioner Sellers? No? All right, then we will ask for a motion. We don't have any quasi-judicial items. Move to approve the consent agenda. Second. I have a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Commissioner Sellers? Commissioner Sellers? I think she's frozen. Frozen. Mr. Frozen, we have three votes. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I was hoping she'd come back on. We lost her. So that passes um, three to zero. She's back. Is she back? Hang on. I don't see her. Commissioner Sellers, are you with us? I am. I'm not sure what happened, but lost you when you were asking for anyone to pull items from the consent agenda, which I had nothing to pull. Okay, we just um, did a motion in a second and made a vote on that. How do you vote to pass it? Well, Mayor, I know we don't use parliamentary procedure, but if it's been moved in a second and the vote's been, been passed by consensus, not unless someone votes to reconsider, there's no need for my vote. Okay. We'll move on then. To the work session. The work session provides an opportunity for the city commission to discuss items in greater detail. The commission will take um, the commission will take no binding action on items presented during this time. Work session topics are eligible for public comment. Members of the public will be limited to three minutes. Ready, Kurt? Yep. All right, good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Here to give you your safe and secure update from the police department. Um, we started off with uh, our vision, which is uh, from our strategic plan. Lawrence is a community where all people feel safe and secure and have access to trusted public and community-based safety resources. Um, our mission now is to incorporate what we're doing as a police department with that strategic vision from our plan. And so I'll be introducing to you uh, what we're calling purpose-driven policing. We started looking at our patrol function, and one of the things that we realized, we find ourselves in a position like any other uh, police department in the country, and that is short-staffed. Uh, the short staffing creates a situation where we have to prioritize our work. We have an authorized strength of 152 sworn officers, and we have been unable to fill our needed vacant positions due to a lack of qualified applicants, changing job markets, and shifts in attitudes toward the profession. On a recent day, the department had 138 sworn officers on staff. Of this number, there were eight members unavailable for work due to injury or on some form of leave with three more officers anticipated to also go on leave and one anticipated resignation, the actual number of officers available was 126. This is a level that doesn't permit delivering the level of service the community expects and the department needs to fulfill its mission. 
With this as a starting point, we created three concentric circles to analyze or to prioritize what our work is. Um, before I get to that, though, um, we wanted to give our officers a little bit more direction on what they should be doing. One of the things that we have in all the st in the station is a TV monitor that has the whole the held calls on it. So as those come in, it's sort of one of our cultural values. One of the things we see as important that we clear that board. And so what we talked about was how important is clearing the board, and does clearing the board affect our KPIs? The other thing that we had to look at was we didn't have a really good way to measure officer workload. One of the things that a lot of departments use is committed time. So how much time are you committed to calls for service? How much time are you committed to administrative time? And how much time are you committed to self-initiated activity? So we're gonna be working on developing a way to measure committed time. Uh, what we decided was we wanted officers to focus on emergency calls and provide a delayed response for others. And that's where we came up with these concentric circles. So we, we've created this vision where we want officers to focus on emergency calls as a priority. That's priority one, two, and three calls. The other thing we want them to do is focus on problem solving and to focus on building relationships. Uh, lower priority calls, so think of things like uh, a call that uh, maybe a car break-in or something like that where a suspect's gone, uh, will receive a delayed response. Uh, this is a cultural change not only for the department, but also for the community. We're a community where when we call the police, we expect an immediate response. Uh, where I came from in Kansas City, um, that wasn't the norm. Uh, the culture was that uh, things like burglaries, car break-ins, things where uh, a suspect wasn't at the scene or a delayed response wouldn't affect the investigation could be delayed for up to four hours. Uh, these calls are not emergencies in situations where a delayed response does not affect the outcome of the incident. I mentioned the auto burglary and a call where the uh, suspect is not at the scene. What we're going to do now, though, is we're going to call this person. Uh, we'll utilize our supervisors to call and let that person know an officer's not available to come right now um, and offer them a time with one of our report takers, what we call uh, mobile and station-based teleserves, to make that report. So many times these are report calls that somebody needs for an insurance incident, and it doesn't affect the outcome of any investigation for them to have a report taken the next day or at a time when we're not as busy. When officers are not on emergency calls, we want them working on problem solving. We want them to be building relationships. So this is where some of the work comes in with identifying areas. Uh, let's say we're having an area of town where we're having a lot of criminal activity. Um, it may be lower priority activity, but what officers can do when they're not on emergency calls for service is start to examine what's creating that criminal activity. There are really three things that contribute to criminal activity. One is the environment. Two are people who are the opportunities for the bad guys. And then the third is the bad guy. Working on environmental issues can help resolve some of those problems, and so that's some of the things that we'll have them working on. The other thing, too, is relationship building. So one of the, what we want them to do is to... Um, excuse me. We're, excuse me, sir. Mike, Michael. We're having a hard time hearing with you I'm talking. Sorry, yeah, I'm trying to point out to the officers, they have an unmarked vehicle okay. sitting out in the parking lot running during the okay. So whichever officer is driving that vehicle, you might want to go shut it off. Two hours is a little crazy. Go ahead. Um, relationship building and effectiveness is uh, a key component of building community trust. Uh, we want to focus on spending time in neighborhoods, parks, schools, and areas of high traffic or crime, downtown specifically, and then also meeting people and listening to their issues. We've had a lot of success with this downtown with our foot patrols, meeting with our business owners, talking to customers, but then we also have these same kind of impacts uh, when we are in schools, when we go to neighborhood meetings. Um, the other thing we want to do is encourage officers to meet someone who is different than they are, someone with a different viewpoint. 
someone situated different, so differently socially, and someone in a different age. Those kinds of things will help us build our trust in the community. Next, we started looking at investigations. So uh, detectives are kind of suffering the same fate as the patrol officers. We tried to uh, not fill vacancies in investigations so that we could have more officers on the street. So we're wanting to prioritize their work as well. So the concentric circles in investigations are very similar. What we're going to focus on is person felony investigations, but we also want them to focus on problem solving and building relationships. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to prioritize our cases uh, to focus our scarce resources on the most severe and solvable crimes. We have something called a solvability matrix that will guide our efforts, and then um, we'll be able to, uh, again, prioritize their limited time. When detectives are not working on priority cases, they'll spend time problem solving and building relationships. Similar to patrol, these may be internal and external problems and relationships. So if you're in patrol, you might think about working with the traffic uh, department to develop a, if we're having a problem intersection. If we're uh, in investigations, we may see a crime problem that may be something we can work with parks on and resolving if it's in a park and we're having a lot of uh, criminal activity there. It may be an environmental thing that we can work with them to correct. Uh, communication with crime victims will be essential, similar to in patrol where we're going to call folks and let them know they'll get a delayed response and try and schedule a time for an officer to take the report. Uh, in investigations, we're going to do a similar thing. And so when a, a report comes in and there's not any suspect information, there's not any evidence, there's no real tips to follow up on, we're going to make contact with them either through a letter or, or a phone call or some other kind of communication and let them know that their case will be inactivated unless until we develop further information. Uh, we're going to explain the process about how we're prioritizing scarce resources and then listen so that we understand uh, any concerns that they may have about the way their case was prioritized. Future thinking, so we're, not, we're trying to get to that full staffing number and I'm happy to report I had a, a report from uh, our recruiting team that uh, we have a January Academy class getting ready to start. We have 11 people that are going to be in that class. Um, it will take us to 148 unless we lose people between now and when they graduate in May. So fingers crossed we're looking pretty good there. Um, but one of the things we want to do is develop a comprehensive recruiting strategy. Um, we're doing a really good job right now. I think there's some opportunities for us out there um, where we can uh, recruit underrepresented population groups. Uh, our historic black colleges and universities are great opportunity for us to recruit. Uh, Lincoln University in uh, Jefferson City, Missouri has a police academy and uh, working to try and develop a relationship there can help us. Uh, college athletes are another uh, group of folks that were identified in a recent uh, uh, report from the Police Executive Research Forum as an area where we can uh, spend time recruiting. We have a pretty big pool of college athletes here and uh, we have a number of ways that we work with them right now. We work with the football team and the basketball team at the beginning of the seasons to um, have a talk about conduct and the way to conduct yourself in the city, uh, using some of our college athletes to create those relationships so that we can um, show them this is a good career path for them uh, once they're done competing. Uh, social work majors are another one that we feel like is a potential. Uh, again, social, work, social workers are equipped with the skill set to be effective police officers, and I think if we can de develop those relationships with the school and show them this is another career path for them. And then lastly, our military veterans. There's a lot of uh, military police. Uh, there are programs in the military where they can come to work for us for six months before they're going to separate, and the military pays their salary for that entire time. So it costs us nothing to put them through the academy, and then we have a fully trained person when they separate from the military. 
The next thing we want to think about is staffing to a level that provides the resources to respond to community needs. Um, increasing our authorized strength to 160 officers we think would be something that we want to think about in the future. Um, we are, are at our lowest staffing level than we've been in recent years and our workload continues to go up. As you all know, there are a lot of community demands for increased presence downtown, for uh, neighborhood resource officers, a lot of you remember those, um, and then uh, other programs that we want to think of. Um, we added a domestic violence officer to our victim advocate, and we're already starting to see some positive results from that. So I think if we start talking about ways we can impact uh, our, uh, our KPIs, and I, I listed some of those there that these future plans would affect, I think we'll see some really positive results from that as well. The other future thinking part is we want to improve our data collection. Uh, we're working on developing a way to measure committed time so that we know how much time our officers are spending on calls for service. We know when the calls are coming in. We know that calls start to go up about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and they start to go down uh, around midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. So we've really adjusted our staffing to have a peak staffing during that time. But one of the things we want to do is find out what types of calls our officers are spending time on. Uh, we all hear about how busy uh, we are, uh, but we want to find out what are we busy doing and are we busy doing the important things that we want them to spend time on. And then the other thing we want to think about are improvements around the KPIs and how our work is impacting them. That is all I have for you. Do you have any questions for me? Any questions for the chief? Uh, I might. Um, very early on, you were uh, speaking about some of the things that are not emergency issues. How would uh, you communicate that to someone who made a call in? Um, are you relying on dispatch? Or will the officer call? Who will do that communicating? Because not to just take a second here, there has in the past been some miscommunication, sounds like, anyway, with dispatch, although I do want to recognize they've done an amazing amount of work, um, certainly since you've been here with the county and the sheriff. Uh, but I wondered how how will that look or how will that feel to a person who calls in with a non-emergency? So they'll call in uh, the same way they always have. They'll classify the call. Uh, and what we're saying is calls that are call classify, classifications of four or five or higher will be the ones that we'll identify for a delayed response. So someone from the Lawrence Police Department will call that person and let them know there's going to be a delayed response. If it's a report type call, we will offer them the opportunity to schedule a time for that's convenient for them probably the next day um, to make that report either over the phone or we can have one of our mobile teleserve folks go in person and make that report. Um, it's it, Part of what we're wanting to do is communicate this to all of you to let our community know that this is a, a different way of, of doing things, but then we're also going to be training all of our officers to make sure that they understand this is a different way of doing things. We're trying to tell them you don't have to clear the board anymore. You can manage the board in a way that provides a better outcome for our community and also provides more resources for them to focus on those emergency calls. And then maybe you did sort of mention this, but we have, uh, and and I think we did give you some budgeting for, um, I guess, non-police uh, persons to take care of, for example, uh, car accident reports and things like that. So can you speak a little bit about that, how that plays into this change? Yeah, so we've got one person that's station-based, uh, and then we've got three that are mobile. So the three that are mobile are out in the community uh, answering calls, taking reports. Um, they take reports in person. They take reports over the phone. In fact, you may have gotten some communications about a car that was sitting in a 
parking lot of a park for some time. Um, those are times when those, uh, we call them mobile community service technicians, they're out there taking reports. So a person may see a city vehicle sitting in a park. It doesn't mean they're not doing anything. They're, they're probably taking a report. They may be on a phone call with somebody. And so we're wanting to try and route as many of these report calls to them as we can and, and utilize them better. Uh, and we think that will help us realize some improvements because then an officer's not needing to take time to take that report during a busy time of the night, as I mentioned, between like 1 p.m. and 1 a.m. So did you say you had four? We have four total. Yeah, one that's station-based and three that are mobile. Okay. So it uh, hasn't been very long, I don't think, since you've had that operating. Does it seem to be going well? It is going really well. They're taking a lot of reports. And uh, quite honestly, if we weren't going to be able to fill our up to 152 sworn officers, we would probably would have come to the city manager and asked them to allow us to convert some more of those uh, into uh, mobile teleserve so that we could you know, continue to take those report calls. Um, they're taking uh, somewhere around 300, about 300 a month right, with uh, reports. So it's a significant number they're taking off of patrol. And, and it provides a better outcome for our community as well, because they're getting that report taken a lot quicker than they would be if they had to on an officer. Do you, how long do you think you would wait to reevaluate that data and determine if you need to ask for more of that versus um, other uh, kinds of expertise? So I think one of the things we're talking about is trying to develop some reliable data. We don't have real reliable data yet as far as our committed time, and I really want to get that in place. Um, we can look at call workload. We can look at what folks are doing. But if we can find out committed time, uh, there are some standards for what a, a reasonable amount of committed time would be to allow officers the, the amount of time they need to do problem solving and relationship building. So once we can identify what that number is, then we'll be able to make a better decision about deployments. Um, just what we have so far with the community service technicians, we're noticing a significant difference. But the other thing, which is sort of the X factor that we haven't put into the equation yet is our alternatives to 911 response. So I just got back from some training in Boston last week and we're really excited about some of the work that that's gonna do um, because we think we're gonna be able to defer a lot more calls away from the police and into our mental health response teams. So that's gonna free up officers for some more time. So uh, with those two things going on, we may end up realizing some pretty big improvements in uh, delivery of service. Thank you, Chief. You're welcome. Any other questions? Yeah, Chief, you maybe start to answer it. Um, how, well, how do you define committed time? I mean, as opposed to building relationship, problem solving, paperwork, what, what's committed time? Committed time is when you're committed to an activity and you're not available for a call for service. So if you're committed to a disturbance call, that's a call for service. If you're out on a traffic stop, that's usually considered a self-initiated activity. Um, if you're out on doing some problem solving or community policing, that would be a committed time to that. So what you want to do is look at um, where are we spending our time, our committed time, and then there's also going to be time when they're not on anything, so they're just on routine patrol, and, and that doesn't count in committed time. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess I'm trying to Think of it as I mean, a billable hour. Yeah, I know. I was thinking billable so, hours. Committed time, <laughs> yeah. yeah, committed time and billable hour would be yeah. the same thing. Yeah. But so are we? Are we going to? I mean, under the purpose-driven policy, where we're asking them to go build relationships, that might have not been committed time before, but now we're asking them to commit time to that. Is that? Yeah. True? 
we are. And so what we're saying is, uh, and, and we want you to capture it. So, you know, when you're out on, on foot patrol, you're building relationships, you're doing an activity. So we want to be able to count that as committed time to a why, a purpose. And a lot of times when um, you're not on a call for service, you have that free time, so to speak. We want them to have a purpose in mind for what they're going to be doing. So not just randomly doing something, not just like randomly stopping a car, but stopping a car with a purpose. So we're having uh, a maybe we've got an intersection in town where there's a lot of crashes. So that would be a purpose. That would be a why for why the police are there. Or maybe we're having a lot of car break-ins in the Walmart parking lot. That's the why of why the police are there. Um, or maybe it's an area where we've had some recent criminal activity and we're wanting to gather some intelligence about who may have been committing the criminal activity. That's the why of why we're there. And so purpose-driven is allowing the officer the opportunity to say, I, I'm not busy, I'm not on a call, I'm not on anything right now, what's my purpose? My purpose should be toward problem solving and building relationships, and that's what we want them to do. We don't want them just out there doing nothing or aimlessly driving around or just doing something that won't contribute to building relationships or problem solving if they're not on an emergency call. Any questions? Commissioner Sellers, yes, did you have more? Commissioner Sellers? Yes, thank you, Mayor. Um, Chief, I just had a couple of questions. When you brought up in regards to um, the number of staff we have and some of the staff shortages, you had discussed the lack of qualified candidates. Could you take a little bit of a deeper dive into that and share with me, like, what is it that does not make individuals who are applying qualified? And is there a, are you seeing a shift? Is there a discussion of a shift in how what makes a candidate qualified, not necessarily making the standards lower, but shifting backgrounds of where individuals come from as far as, far as what would make them a qualified candidate for Police Academy. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, a lot of times what we're seeing are officers that may be running from another department. So they've had performance issues and they've been let go or they've resigned. Um, that's one that we, we definitely um, see a lot of. Um, the other thing are, are just, there's some really odd folks out there. And um, you know that we've, we've had some really strange stories shared with our polygraph examiners and um, we're like, you know, we just avoided a big headache. Um, but then the other thing too is is um, understanding, uh, you know, there's a psychological background that they go through, and if they're not psychologically fit, um, we can't hire them either. So those are some of the struggles. And then the other part of it, too, is um, competition for applicants. So we have a lot of times where we've got a good applicant, uh, and they'll get offered a job by another agency and, and not be available to us. So we've actually started hiring some folks. We've got one right now. We hired before the academy started because he was being heavily recruited by another agency. So we're able to bring him in a little bit early and start his training early, even though he'll still start with the academy class in January, so that he's getting paid and he's not going to work for another agency. So we've had to adjust some of that. Um, we think that now with the, the new uh, pay plan, we're positioned well to be a lot more competitive than we were. So I think we'll get some more of those quality applicants. Um, but you know, it's, that's, that's the struggle. It's not, uh, it's not our standards are too high. It's that a lot of these folks are just coming to us with a lot of interesting issues. Uh, drug use is another one that pops up quite a bit. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just part of our society now. Any more questions? Thank you very much. Thank you all for yeah. your time.
This is a public comment item, so we will open it up to public comment. Any public comment? Go ahead. Hi, my name is Dave Baston, and uh, I was just looking at uh, the law enforcement officers that they have in Topeka. Uh, they have a way, way more than than we have here. It looks. I, I think I've seen their budget for next year they were at 423 and their population is not that much more than what we have here i know they're uh, 61 square miles to our 35 square miles here but doing the calculation on uh, what they have as opposed to what we have just going off the mileage and not the population i think excuse me can we that excuse me we we're i'm having a heart excuse me ma'am ma'am I'm having a hard time hearing the, the speaker. Please, thank you. Uh, just doing the, the comparison with Topeka, uh, with just going off the square miles instead of the population, I mean, we should be, we should have 60, 60 more police officers than we actually have if we're just comparing ourselves to up there. So, and I know business owners and everybody are, uh, I mean, I think more, police officers uh, would solve tons of problems that we have around here. So um, I don't know if we need to look into that. And I know they're having a problem recruiting people, but our pay has gone up. And I think that that will definitely help recruit more people. So I don't I think that's just something that we need to look at uh, about doing some comparisons. And, and, and I know they're doing a lot of recruiting, but I mean, if our pay's up, I don't know if it's normal practice or not, but we can go down to other departments and, and let them know what we're paying here to get some more uh, people. So uh, that's just my, my two cents. Thank you. Any other public comment from the room? If not, we'll go to Zoom. Stephen Watts. Hi. Thank you. I... Uh, I sincerely believe Mr. Lockhart and Mr. Owens are working aggressively for our town to deal with police matters. That being said, the police in our town are overstaffed and tripping over each other. Isn't that why we built a police plaza over there in deluxe land? The police must do as all other aspects of government has done, which is to learn to do more with less and stop thinking. They need to send eight people to simple stops. The public, the town commission, all of us must be interested in why all of a sudden, do the police need to send so many people to simple problems? They will report back, officer safety. I will assert, no, that's not right. We have heard about staff shortage for a long time, and it's gone on for a long time, as well as the accumulation of data. We must remember this is a police department. Our town police department simply did not file reports for a couple of years because they didn't want to. 
The idea of how to use time is a managerial problem. And part of the idea of reimagining policing centers around how to use this time rather than from an old school perspective, you know, sending so many people to one simple problem. Again, the officer safety concept has been exploited. Is part of the issue the incestuous training that our police department requires because it doesn't send people to the state training? Why are we not recruiting seasoned officers from across the United States who want to exit the hell holes that they are in to come to laid-back Lawrence, Kansas? I talked with Mr. Owens about this four years ago in terms of recruiting some of the Chicago Police Department people here. Are people scratching their head going, well, we don't want Chicago cops in Lawrence? I, I, I don't know. Uh, it's just one place that I happen to have an in with, but it's just, that's just me. Uh, the sad reality is, is that we confront all manner of problems here. Thank you, Steve. Your time's up, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment on Zoom? No, Mayor. Bring it back to the commission. Any further comments on this item? Maybe maybe I'll ask another. I'm sorry, Commissioner Sellers. Go ahead. Go ahead, Commissioner. If you have a question, I just have a comment. Well, I did. I did want to talk about this. Um, the uh, community service technicians a little bit more. I just maybe maybe we were. I was assuming people understood what that was. Um, so, and you did say a little bit, but I want to be clear. These are. These are people who are not carrying guns, not carrying pepper spray, not carrying any kind of um, defensive or aggressive equipment um, with respect doing rather a lot of paperwork. Yeah, they're unarmed. Uh, they wear a uh, dark navy pair of pants, a dark navy shirt with the Lawrence City logo on it. They have a police radio. They drive a white car with the city logo on it. And they are going out as unarmed uh, response to police calls. I, I, I will be honest, I was really glad to hear about this program and that we're, we're doing this, and I appreciate your work on that. I don't believe this was something we were doing uh, before you got here. Um, I, do th I do think this is something that other communities are doing. Do you have a sense of how many communities are already kind of doing this? Are we, are we um, kind of cutting edge in this? Are we, are we you know, using lessons from what other communities are doing with this kind of um, position? Yeah, we had... Uh Phones, uh, phone in reports for some time before I got here. The the mobile ones in the community just started that last spring. Um, it is something that a lot of communities are doing. I feel like we are still cutting edge uh, in that we've got three out there doing this full time. Um, but it is really important work, and I think it's something that um, we will be able to share our lessons with other communities who are looking to uh, hear what we're doing and how it's working for us. And we're also working on expanding their roles. They're really busy right now, so we don't want to give them too much. Accidents are the next kind of big thing we want to elevate them to, uh, but they're so busy with the reports they're taking now, we just don't feel like there's enough there for that to, to add that extra workload to them. I, I, I'm not an insurance adjuster, but my recollection from living here for over 30 years is there's rather a lot of accidents here, fender benders with 
uh, young people who have only been driving maybe five or six years. Um, and I personally imagine, and especially living here, that's a huge volume of calls that. Yeah, and, and I know in Warrensburg, if you look at it when the school's out, the accidents go down significantly, and I'm sure it's the same trend here. There's just fewer drivers on your streets, and so it, it, it is, makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. And I, I had, hate to ask a nitty-gritty question, uh, but since these are not uniformed, armed officers, I take it to understand that they are not paid to the same degree or they're in a different uh, group. Um, uh, so can you talk a little about that or is there maybe, should someone else speak on that? No, they're, they're paid lower than the police are. Um, their training is much shorter. Uh, but what we found is that the level of interest for the positions was really high. So we had a large number of applicants to choose when we chose these three. And the three we have are really good quality folks. So the, the pay is right for the job. We had a lot of good folks to choose from. The training was about three weeks so that uh, we're able to get them deployed very quickly. And I, I think it's something that really holds a lot of promise for us as we look to try and improve some of these uh, areas of service. Thank you very much. Any other comments or questions? Commissioner Sellers? Yes, thank you, Mayor. Um, just a, a few comments to share. I want, I want to thank uh, the Chief for doing this presentation. Um, just on the purpose-driven piece. There are a couple of parts that resonated with me that um, I appreciate coming to light. Hopefully we can, uh, we can build upon those and, and find out, create some strategies to make sure that we can bring these on board. Uh, with the relationship building piece, uh, I know, you know just speaking from experience and experience and what I've seen um, just in other communities and one being just my hometown of just having those relationships with uh, with law enforcement, I know that some of those are easier to build with neighborhood associations, um, but also um, just making a point to identify individuals in areas where there may not be an active neighborhood association to have that kind of that community police. Um, you know, we use champion a lot. I don't want to use the word champion, but just someone that can help build that relationship. I know that once uh, uh, in the neighborhood association that um, my parents uh, were a part of, my mom is still a part of. Um, we have that accountability uh, that says the officer comes um, to the neighborhood association meetings. Um, they build their national night out. Uh, they oftentimes, a lot of the city, any concerns that they have with uh, city municipal services um, serve as a pass through uh, through the relationship with their officer, and that's built on that relationship um, that they have with their designated uh, individual. So uh, there's value in that, especially in a predominantly black community, uh, where oftentimes it's not just about distrust, it's about creating the accountability sort in that community. So anything we can do to, to make sure that is something that's not just uh, performative, but it's also fruitful. Uh, I, I, I look forward to hearing more about that. Um, in regards to the piece about uh, qualified candidates, I know that we do have the, uh, I was looking at the Promise Scholarship, and I know this is a program that started about two years ago. I know it's been implemented pretty heavily this past year. Where there is a portion, I don't say portion, I'm trying to pull it up real quick, where uh, some of the qualifying uh, eligible field of studies are law, public safety, corrections, and security. I imagine at some point with the legislature, there'll probably be some audit to see um, 
you know, what like, you know, what programs, you know, individuals are going into, um, success and what fields and tracks that they're going through. Um, you know, we're dealing with attrition and law enforcement and public safety, uh, just like we're seeing it also on the county level and on the state level as well. And so I, I don't know how important our state um, sees this or if they're training at their discussions between local and state level to identify are we utilizing, you know, that promise scholarship uh, that provides two years of uh, free school um, through our junior colleges and some of our tech programs. Uh, Peasley's not part of that. Washburn Tech is. Uh, in order to build that pathway for individuals to um, if, to build an interest in um, becoming uh, public safety officers um, in law enforcement, so you know something that builds upon that. Additionally to that, um, which I know is out of your control, Chief, but again, we're all, all advocates and lobbyists. Uh, for our own best goods and that uh, whether or not there's an opportunity for loan forgiveness. I know there are other municipalities across the country. There's also states that have included law enforcement um, officers uh, in their loan forgiveness programs uh, as an incentive to uh, to keep individuals within the communities and also to help them with their, uh, their continuing education. So just something for us as a commission to think about and if there's opportunities there uh, to speak on that piece. Um, I'm glad you brought up the Police Academy um, with Lincoln University. Um, it is the one and only um, HBCU with a Police Academy. Um, and that's saying a lot about um, that institution. Um, and I think there's something to be said with not just utilizing HBCU, um, the academic uh, excellence that comes out of HBCUs, that we know that more students graduate from historical black colleges and universities than, than traditional uh, predominantly white institutions. So um, I think we have just a lot of opportunities here to reimagine um, community policing and policing in general. Um, it's not perfect. Um, I think, you know, juxtapose that against uh, some of the things that we're seeing in other aspects of our policing. <laughs> Uh, with our CPRB and our work group. We do have a lot of work to go um, with this, but um, I, I see a lot of this being promising and that um, I look forward to seeing how we grow and continue to build out some of these strategies that we're using to reimagine and redefine what um, public safety looks like in our community. So thank you, Chief, for that. Thank you. Any other comments? Got a couple more for you, sure. if you will. Um, there was a comment made about why we uh, don't use the State Academy. Um, we did, for the entire year of 2022, send officers to the State Academy. Um, we did, were able to build a big enough class to have ours here in 2023. Uh, the big difference is the State Academy um, has a 14-week curriculum. We teach that same 14-week curriculum here, uh, but we add four weeks. We think 18 weeks is a more appropriate level for basic training. But then the other thing, too, we have a smaller class size, so our officers are able to get more repetitions here than they would get in Hutchison. So same curriculum, a little bit longer instructional hours here, and then with six kids in the class rather than like 30 or 40, they're getting more reps of each thing and, and the instruction's a little more individualized. Uh, secondly, with regard to car idling, um, the police car takes a long time to sign in with passwords and get all the systems booted up. So once an officer begins their shift, they do allow the car to idle, they lock it. Um, that way if there's 
an emergency call that, call that comes in, they're able to get in that car and get going and not have to wait for all those systems like the, the computer, uh, the dispatch system that's loaded in the computer, the in-car video system to boot back up. That takes some time. So a lot of people may not understand that when they see a police car idling. I just wanted to let you all know that so you're, you are aware if you get questions about that. Thank you for that. Thanks. Appreciate that information. And I, I would just add that thank you for your presentation tonight and the information and the fact that we've got 11 coming up in our next class. That's good to hear. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. All right, we will move on to the regular. Thanks for wearing a suit and tie, Rich. Shut him off. Regular agenda item. We'll let everybody clear the room. Who wants to leave? Okay, item number one, continue the public hearing on the establishment of a NRA and a CID for the Turn Hall building project at the January 16th, 2024 City Commission meeting once final third party analysis has been completed. I assume we don't need a presentation. Yeah, I don't that. think there's much of a presentation. It's still going well, it's just not quite ready. Okay, so we can just move on to make a... I think Do you we need, need to, to vote formally. to extend? We need to vote to extend uh, it. I move continue to, it. Yeah, just to, yeah. Make I move to continue the public hearing at the gen, to the January 16th, 2024 City Commission meeting. Second. I have a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Passes four to zero. We're on to commission items. Oh, Mayor. I would say. Uh, I did go to the 100th anniversary of Liberty Memorial Central Junior High. It was really fantastic. Uh, of course, last uh, week we had um, some people with um, their proclamation. Uh, saw uh, Representative uh, Amix there, uh, who also went to that school. Uh, oh, wow. So uh, it was a great event. And uh, yeah, if you've never uh, seen that building, uh, find the opportunity. That's cool. Any other commission items? No? Okay, we'll move on to the city manager's report. Craig. Um, just an update on the enterprise license, planning and licensing system. Um, it, we did a press release, that it went live, and it's a long anticipated uh, piece of, of our um, huge investment in technology and upgrades and modernization. Um, the rest are just uh, our usual ex parte information for upcoming agenda items and future agendas. Any questions for Craig on this? If not, we'll open it up. This is a public comment item. Open up for public comment on this, on anything on the city manager's report. Yes. Uh, didn't plan on saying anything about that. Uh, is that the computer system that we're putting together to access or that you were speaking of? I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I know there, uh, I had mentioned before they were going to do a bunch of this, all of our storage on the cloud. And I had mentioned before about, um, I did, I personally didn't think that was a good idea. And the IT guy came online and said that it's a government site and blah 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 it's all it's all good but if you look at what just happened to the court systems here in the last month and they still haven't recovered the data same deal there so again I would uh, recommend that we do 
just have some backup that we store. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment on any item on the city manager report? Any on Zoom? Stephen Watts. I'd just like to add that our city manager walked into our town and got confronted with a police chief being run out of town and then COVID and then an accelerated homelessness issue and yet is still here trying to help us. I may not agree with many of the efforts coming out of that manner, coming out of his administration, but I do appreciate that this public servant is doing the best he can with what he has. And that is being compelled by a business community that wants to lock up and run out of town everybody that doesn't look right or smell pretty. I appreciate what our town manager is doing heretofore. Thank you. Okay, any other public comment on Zoom? Now we'll bring it back to the commission. Any other comments or questions on this? If not, we'll move on to the calendar. Any calendar items that we need to note or change or add? Nope. Okay. Quick, quick question. Oh, never mind. Sorry. I was going to say the planning the commission retreat is on the eighth, not the, the first. I misread that. It's on the eighth. Okay. Never yes, mind. Yes. December. Yep. Okay. If nothing else, we can move on to item. Our last item. Move to adjourn. Second. Got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Passes four to zero. We're adjourned. Thanks. Have a good evening, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.